Welcome to another episode of Social PR Secrets, the podcast. My name is Lisa Beyer, and I'll be your host. Today's guest is Charlie Gilkey. Charlie and I talk about how he helped me as a business coach and how I give him actually a lot of credit. I don't think I would have finished the book Social PR Secrets if it wasn't for his business coaching. He is also the author of of several books. One of them is called Start Finishing, and another one is called The Small Business Life Cycle. So whether you follow Charlie on social, listen to this episode, sign up for some of his courses, or even sign up for his newsletter, if you learn anything from this episode, you will take away some amazing tips on productivity and how to be as efficient as possible, no matter what you're doing, whether it's for work or your personal life. I hope you enjoy this episode, and namaste. Okay, welcome everybody to the Digital Dish. We have um, an exciting guest today and topic. Charlie Gilkey is here. Hey, Charlie. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Kathy. Good. Um, I'm Lisa Beyer, and I am the author of Social PR Secrets, and I'm here with my co-host, Kathy Hackle. Hey, Kathy. Hey, Lisa. How you doing? Great. And Charlie, tell us a little bit about yourself. We're going to be talking about the Zen of business coaching, but tell us a little bit about your background and um, we'll get started with some questions and conversation. All right. Because we're on, you know, a Twitter based show, I'm going to be super brief or as much as I can. Lisa, you know, sometimes that's easier said than done. Um, And so imagine you were to take a military logistics officer, a philosopher and a business strategist and plump them all together. Well, that's me, right? And so that's how I show up in the world. That's what I do. So um, what I do professionally is I'm a business coach. I'm also an executive coach. And I really help people, um, one, figure out where they're trying to go in a way that makes sense to them and the best pathways to get there. Because that's really all strategy is anyway. It's where are you going? How are you going to get there? Oh, and then finally doing it. Sometimes the doing it is not the easiest part for people. Other times it's it's really easy. So um, I started in 2007, I started a website called Productive Flourishing, where um, we talk a lot about living a rich and full life. Um, but importantly, it's for creative people and our particular challenges around getting stuff done. Because believe it or not, like you might not believe it listening to the show, there are a lot of people who just wake up in the morning and they don't have a bunch of ideas kicking off in their head and they just kind of go to work and do their thing and then go home. And there are many days I wish I could be them. I am not one of those persons. The rest of us wake up and we have tons of ideas and we can do this and we can do that. And we, we overcommit and then we underdeliver and all those things that come up. And so we talk about a lot of those things at Productive Flourishing. So um, that's the briefest intro I can do, Lisa. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Kathy and I, um, we have um, a lot in common as far as being in the same space, digital marketing, public relations, journalism, social media, and our audience um, is comprised of digital marketing professionals and also students. And I think one of the keywords that you said that I everybody has in common is the overcommitment part and not having enough time in the day to think that you can get done what you've committed to get done. And the way you and I met is you're my business coach um, currently, and we're working for the second time now. Um, and I feel like also as a biz, not just digital marketer, but a business owner, you have a hard time because you don't really have somebody to answer to. And I answer to Charlie now. <laughs> Every two weeks, we have a standing call. Yeah, it's an interesting position to to be paid to be someone's check-in, right? Um, because, but but that's really where it is. And I think what it is, is regardless of whether you're a solo, you know, I also see it in larger teams to where that executive and that founder really doesn't have anyone 
else that they can one confide in to really share what's going on and three have someone that will just call them on the bs that comes up and just you know say like hey this was going to take two hours we figured out this was going to take two hours we know we had that in your schedule right we planned on how to do it you just didn't do it what's going on right and that's a tough conversation to have with people but it's a conversation that people aren't having with themselves and how do um how do you know if you need a business coach how do your clients come to you and how do they how does how does the decision get made that okay it's almost like a therapist okay you have to admit there's a problem i'm not doing something right i need outside help i need intervention in a way and how do you decide so one way to think about this and it's really important when you're thinking about getting a coach whether it's a life coach or a business coach or a marketing coach or whatever it is so many people approach it from a deficiency mindset like oh i'm not doing it well and i need help right and so it's not working and i'm gonna go get a coach well if things are really not working at a certain point, you're already in a bad position, right? And it's going to be, you know, you, when you do work with a coach, you're going to have to go through the stage in which, you know, there's all the mindset and talk and things like that. And then finally get to the fact that, wait a second, there's nothing wrong with me that I want to have someone to help me perform at my best, right? Michael Jordan had a coach. Tiger Wood has a coach, right? You can go through a long list of people who are at the top of their game that had a coach, and or have a coach. And so one way that I would want people to think about that is, um, one, do they really believe that they're um, in their business and their life performing at their best? And if they do, you don't need a coach, right? Um, because your coach is going to do that. But most people aren't. They know at a certain level that they're not. So that's the first thing to think about. Second is, and the biggest obstacle, um, to go back to old brother wire out there, the biggest obstacle here is um, that, you know, how, you, how do you afford a coach? How do you, how do you um, make that make sense in this? Um, I'm probably going to get in trouble here, Lisa, but um, one thing, especially for women I've, I've noticed is how do they give themselves permission to get help rather than just trying to do it all by themselves. Right. And so that's sort of the woman's journey. The man's journey is, sociologically speaking, largely around competency, right? So permission versus competency. So I think the way, you know, so there are some people who ask me this. And so give me more specific examples, Charlie. One, if you're running in your business and you really don't know where you're going, business coach can help, right? Um, if you don't know where you're going, any road can get you there, but that's a, a way for you to be all over the interwebs, you're on Blab, you're on Facebook, you're on Pinterest, you're doing 80 gazillion marketing things. You don't know if they're working, but they all seem like good ideas to do so on and so forth. That sounds like me, Charlie. You just <laughs> described me. I'm like all over the map. I'm like. <laughs> Great. We should talk. Um, <laughs> yeah, Charlie, I know. <laughs> um, the second thing is if you have all of that, right, you have the plan, you have the roadmap and everything, and you're just not doing it. You're just not doing it. Now, that could be a matter that it's um, most business coaches worth their salt will be able to work through the personal dimensions of why that might be. But it could also be that you're fundamentally have a misalignment with what your business is and what you want to do. And I'm just going to throw this out there. If you actually don't want the success that you're going after, like if you feel you have to give up some major part of you, if you feel that you're going to have to sell out, if you feel that you're going to have to do all these things and live this life you don't want to live, guess what? You're not going to do it at a certain level. You will self-sabotage and it's not going to happen. And you're going to carry this huge story about all the failures that you have when the fact of the matter is you weren't pointed in the right direction and even if you had won you would have lost 
Right. So that's what I wanted to slide there. And, and then sometimes people hire a business coach and this is less the pure coaching modality, but it's more the consulting and teaching modality. The thing about business is there are a lot of times you just don't know what you don't know, right? You just don't know what you don't know. A seasoned business coach has walked that with scores, you know, sometimes hundreds of people, and they can tell you all the things that might come up for you, even if those things don't. Um, and so Lisa, I'll, I'll put us on this thing. There are some times where we talk about, it, I'm like, Lisa, you might want to be thinking about this six months from now. Right. Um, and she's like, I'm not even thinking about it now. So why should I be thinking about it six months from now? But I think there's some value to that of having that external perspective. Um, last thing that I would say about a business coach is that um, business coach doesn't live in your head. And this is a really, really important piece. Because when you try to make any decisions, you've got to claw through all the stuff that's in there and all the stories and all the different things. A, an external advisor can sometimes just see things as they are and not how you're making them. So things will seem delightfully simple to them that are just beyond your ability to under, to, to really come to grips with. And it's like, honestly, you just need to call that person. We don't need a big strategy here. We don't need a big plan. You just need to call that person or you just need to write that or you just need to create this, right? Um, and it's like, it can be that simple. Yeah, it could be that simple. Well, let's use the real life example, Charlie, if we can, of my book of Social PR Secrets, which to me, I'm just trying to um, get Social PR Secrets done so that I can start on my next book. And it's kind of like, I'm just trying to check, I was just trying to check that off my list and not really doing, you know, a lot of the marketing things around Social PR Secrets that I just didn't think were important. But Charlie, tell them, tell everybody what, how you brought it to life. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, I really need to be doing things different, which if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't see it that way. And you just need that outside perspective. Yeah. I mean, so this is the thing when it, when it came to um, Lisa's, Lisa's sort of project here is like, you know, we're just going to get this done. We're going to wrap it up and put it in and then we'll move on to the next thing. But when you really think about the long-term economic value of a book and what she's, what she's trying to do, how it positions her in the marketplace, how people come to know her because of that book and position her well, how much more there can, that she can extend that and how it brings in business. And for, you know, the thing about authors, and I'm going to share this just in the side, like you don't earn money off your book unless you're like Malcolm Gladwell. And there are some people who do. Most of us don't, right? We earn it from the opportunities that come across. And so if you're just looking like, so what? I sell 200 more books. What does that matter? I was like, well, how many of those might convert into leads that turn into service? And how much is that service worth for you? And when you do the math, I'm not going to do the math because I would um, show too much that, that would give too much information. But when you do it, it's a much bigger number than just that sale of book. So when you think about like what your higher level strategic goals are, if it's, you know, generate leads, you know, have the right type of client, so on and so forth. Well, you could do a lot of this, a lot of the sort of random, and I, wanna, I don't want to say too random, but you can do a lot of different marketing things, or you could take something that's already working, that people already know you for, that has legs, and do more of that, right? And I think that's the thing, is that for creative people in general, and if you're a small business owner or a founder or a digital marketer, you are creative. That's the only way you get into this, those fields. We want to move on to the next thing before we've actually finished the thing that we just put out. And we think unfortunately, that shipping it means you're done with it. Ain't the case. It's not the case. Yeah. So he really had me all of a sudden seeing things in a completely different perspective. And it wasn't just, you know, whether it's a book or whether it's the project that you're working on to get you to the next project or to get you to the vacation or whatever the next thing is, it just, 
you don't you don't necessarily see things in perspective without having somebody like a Charlie, a business coach. Yeah, and specifically project. on that project, sorry, I didn't mean to jump in, Lisa. I'm trying to be more specific because there's easy, it's an easy way to talk about this. But you know, what we did um is go through and like look at all of her different profiles and say, where do we find the book? Like, mm -hmm. how hard is it to find the book? And there are some times where we had to click like four or five pages. And it's like, this is one of your main things. And I have to work. I know that I'm looking for a book, right? Yeah. And I have to work. If I didn't know I was looking for a book, it wouldn't happen, right? So just small things like that that end up making a big difference. And you know what, Charlie? I want to jump in and say that I love the fact that you do this from a positive angle instead of the negative angle. I think that that is very much needed um, because other people that I've seen work with coaches, it's like so negative and like they are not looking forward to talking to their coach. You know, especially because coaches hold people accountable, like you said, and everything. But if you're coming at it from a positive perspective, I mean, I think it makes it so much better. And I can tell that with, you know, with Lisa. I mean, Lisa's very, you know, yoga, Zen and everything. So it means I think it says a lot that she works with you as your as her coach. Thanks. I mean, who wants to show up and talk to someone that's like lording stuff over them and holding them like, it, you know, the accountability thing is really, really challenging. Um, and the thing that you have to remember sometime, and I think in some ways, it's good leadership, good personal leadership between mm -hmm. friends. Like if people already really want something, reminding them that they want that and centering that, right? And saying, oh, this is what you wanted. Like, is this still what you want? Did you change? It's like, no, that's what I wanted. The accountability thing becomes a lot easier. It's when mm -hmm. I think so many people get in trouble when it comes to business coaches because they end up, and whether this is the, the client or the coach, I don't want to go into a meta, meta critique here, but they're so focused on achieving someone else's goals and living someone else's values that that's where you get a lot of that sort of, you got to do this, you got to do this. And they're like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it, right? Um, there's a difference between wanting to do something and understanding it's going to be a challenge, understanding that some of the steps are things that you don't want to do there. And that's one thing. But there's another thing when you just really, that's not, your life. That's not your value. That's not who you want to be in the world. Right. Um, I would say that, you know, if, if you find that if you are in a coaching relationship or you're thinking about one and you end up in that position, that's a time to sit and talk with your coach and say, Hey, like, um, I'm not sure we're following my agenda here. Yeah. And it has to be in a motivational type of situation and, and, and one that you look forward to and that, makes you more productive. And speaking of productive, I mean, that's really, I think one of your specialties is to really, I mean, I feel like it's custom to me. So I'm sure you do with each person, you customize the productivity tips. Um, so can you share some of the productivity tips like in between coaching sessions or just examples of like how somebody in our space can, um, can access productivity in a more positive way? Yeah. So I think um, why, uh, one of the reasons people have a lot of struggles with productivity is that they're chronically overcommitted and they don't know that. Right. And so, um, you know, and I, I, some, sometimes Lisa, I think it's a matter of the digital tools that we use because you can plop 17 things on a list. And then if you don't get them done, you just change the date and those 17 things just kind of slide and slide and slide. But wait, you didn't actually get them done. You added 17 new things to them. And so there's this long list of stuff that's just not getting done that is really easy to keep reclicking. Um, and so one thing that I would say along those lines is I'm a huge fan, especially if you know you have a productivity challenge of handwriting things in a journal, in a planner, like we sell planners on a website and um, sell and we also have free ones as well. But 
the thing about it is a yeah. lot of a lot of people will come to me. <laughs> I was gonna do the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I've got a planner. Yeah. Man, I can't live without this thing. Yeah. I have this and then I also have Asana. So I <laughs> digital and handwritten. You know, and that's really great, right? I'm we, it, I know, don't have Basecamp though. Well, actually I'm working on Basecamp with UF. Yeah. And what I will say about that though is like um physical journaling, planning planning. Um it invokes a sense of constraint and space, right? There's only so many things you can write on a piece of paper, right? Mm -hmm. um, there are only so many things you can write on the three by five note card. And I would challenge someone, like if you really look at the right level of perspective and you look at the project level and not at the task level of perspective, write three to five projects that you wanna finish today down on a note card. Like you will, I would be surprised if people ever finish more projects than the lines on a three by five note card. Right. And that's really all you need a day by day. Here are the projects that I'm working on mm -hmm. and you focus on that. So there's a matter of focus and being really clear about your commitments. Right. And so um, one newer practice, Lisa, you haven't you haven't seen this one yet, is anytime you make a commitment, make sure to write that down um, and get it into Asana or, you know, even Omniflux, whatever you use. And you can have a commitments, you know, page. You can have a, like, a, you know, I have OmniFocus right now because it's something that I'm working on and it's just like, I'll drop in as a commitment. So if I tell Lisa, I'm going to do something, it goes in there and then I'm accountable. Like I look at all the commitments that I have. Um, and then I'm like, okay, I need to work on those commitments because, you know, that's what it is. Now it's harder to, when I commit to myself, you know, that's one thing, but um, having a commitments journal, just so you're keeping up with that, because that's the thing that I want to say, Lisa, that we have to remember as creatives and all of us on this, on this um, call and listen to the call or our creatives is we are prone and known to be flakes, right? Yeah, it's just, yeah. we know this, right? Yeah. Um, you can be successful just by not being a flake, right? You don't that have is to be so true. I say that all the time, like not just in our business, but I mean, any type of small business, all you have to do is call somebody back. Like, and right? you're going to be successful. Just return yeah. a phone call. Yeah, in the army, we used to have a call. You know, yeah. just pick up the phone and do it and call. You're yeah. right. You're 100 right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it, we used to say in the army that like the key to success is showing up at the right time in the right uniform. Right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's really what it was. Everything else, like you were with the right people, you had the training, so on and so forth. So if you showed up in the right uniform, you know things went pretty well, right? You're 75% um, there. Yeah. So that's what I would say for most of us is just being the person that when we say something, we mm -hmm. do it. Um, and we communicate if we're not going to be able to do something. So don't ghost on people and all those things that we know our fellow creatives do. Don't be that person. Really huge like tip for tip or strategy for being productive. Um, let's see. I've, I've got a question, Charlie. Hit Can me. I jump in and ask you a question? You know, because Lisa and I, in, in, in our world, there's this thing, well, I think you know it, the fear of missing out, FOMO. FOMO, so yep. there is FOMO. I mean, I see, for example, right now, I've got lots of friends at VidCon. I'm like, man, I should be at VidCon. So I'm like, I'm like, you know, when I start seeing all those posts, I start like hyperventilating. I'm like, oh my gosh, I should be on that stage speaking or whatever. Um, how do you, I mean, do you see this a lot with your clients? And how do you help them? I mean, obviously it's a long process, but. How do you, like, from a business coaching standpoint, how do you address something like this? Because it's so prominent with people in our field and then the younger, you know, the younger generation. See, I think the fear of missing out is causing us to miss out. Yeah. That, that's. Oh, I love that. I'm so going to tweet that out. Um, I think I <laughs> so talked about that, right? So, um, but <laughs> I think that's the thing, because we spend so much time looking at other people's lives and 
let's get real. I mean, we're marketers here. We, we show people what we want them to see. Right. And so you see the positive stories of what people are going through and that's what you have FOMO about. Right. Um, you don't necessarily, unless you're just complaining on Facebook, you don't see the horrible Uber driver, right. That was racist and was yelling at them. I had a client talk to me about that yesterday. You don't see all those different things. So that's one thing Two, if you're not there, worrying about not being there is not helpful, right? There's nothing that's going to change where you are. Um, so the best thing that you can do is be present with where you are and what really matters to you. None of your clients, none of your, you know, people who are actually matter to your business are worried about you not being there. See, that's the thing, right? Um, we're also focused on our own stories that like, oh, Kathy wasn't at VidCon. What's Kathy doing? Is Kathy really in, in the know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so while everybody else is doing that, how about you like ship your work? And so while everybody, you know, because they're going to go to VidCon and then there's going to be that three or four day lag and then they're going to make all these <laughs> commitments and not just gonna be like two or three weeks of distru- disruption. See, just so they can get, get their selfie at VidCon. Just so right? they the opportunity and ship something that matters Tuesday when everybody's right. still, in, it's still in VidCon hangover. Ship something that day that says, you know what? I wasn't there, but I was here creating this, right? Yeah. Um, now I'm not going to sit, not going to disvalue the 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 um, or discredit the value of being and in, in networking and connecting and things like that. But I just want to say that there are, from a business perspective, there are really more high value activities that you could be doing than just hanging out at a conference, right? Um, that are much more. Relevant. I think I'm the poster child for that because this year is my first year that I've done. I've done the least amount of conferences. I've actually only done one so far, and I'm committed to one more, which is a huge decrease in what I've done in the past eight years. Every year, wow. any conference I was invited to, I said yes to because I, I can't say no to it. You know, I never said no, and then that led to other conferences that you know, I wasn't invited, I wasn't invited to, but I pitched that I really wanted to go to. So if you add those two together, the ones that you say yes to, because you're asked, and the ones that you really want to go to. And then there's other ones too, that just pop up that, yeah, yeah. you know, webinars, things like that. I mean, you're frantically just running from one event to the next and everything in between is just a big blur. So for this year, I can just tell you that it's, I feel like it's my most purposeful and Wow. rewarding year of business. And I don't think it's because I've had eight years of conferences behind me. I just feel like I've kind of taken a step back and stopped saying yes and just had that opportunity, like Charlie just described, to let things happen. I need to listen to you guys because, my gosh, <laughs> those eight years are like my current year. Like once once July yeah. hits, I have like conference after conference after conference. And, you know, some of them I do get paid for. So, hey – you know, but some of them I just like, you know, I'm volunteering for. So I'm like, right. what is the real business value in it? You know, so yeah, I mean, if I mean, I'm getting paid, hey, you know, of course I'm going <laughs> to. But even if you're getting paid, it really has to, I mean. Well, it has to be, yeah. Uh, I'm going to let Charlie answer that one. Cause okay. That- yeah. So, I mean, I think as um, business owners, as creatives, we don't really value the, the time. Like what's a day worth to you? What's a, a productive day worth mm-hmm. to you? And so we think, you know, I'm going to go to VidCon. It costs 500 bucks, whatever it costs. It costs me to play. And you can do a budget for that. It might be, let's say, 2,500 bucks, right? So you're like, okay, four days, 2,500 bucks. I can do that. But what you forget to account for are the four days of your time that are added on top of that, right? And so if you were to add that time to it, and you're not, you know, you're not really working for free. You're working at a loss, 
right? Um, is really what it amounts to, right? And so if you were to take, and Lisa, we may have actually had this conversation. I think we may have, but if you were to take that cost and do that over the course of a year and really put an economic value on what it's costing you to do that, and then you look at sort of the things that you're not doing that have higher value and, and costing those out, you might see that you have this huge imbalance, right? Um, and so I see this a lot where people are like, oh, I, I need this key marketing asset to help me sell my services. But they're stringing along from conference to conference to conference and are meeting more and more people who need that same asset. At a certain point, you got to solve that problem, right? Going to another conference does not solve that problem. That only amplifies the problem, right? And so um, what I would encourage people to consider is rather than going on a conference and consuming and connecting, how about you like give yourself permission to use that same time and that same money to go on a creative retreat so that you can create the things oh. that you need to, right? The cost is the same. The value and is different. You know, what's a mistake that I have made doing what you just said is combining the two. Well, I'm going to go to this conference. I'm going to be in Las Vegas. I'm going to have a hotel room um, to myself. I'm going to order room service yeah. and I'm going to get so much done wrong. You end up getting sucked into the conference. You stay out too late, or at least I did. You're um, in Vegas, for God's yeah. sake. But I mean, I, it could be New York. Anywhere. anywhere. Montana. So, like, that's my my rationale to my husband, to my family, to myself for not every conference, but a lot of them. You know, I'm going to stay an extra day or I'm going to go a day early so I can just lock myself in my hotel room. And you do get, I do get a lot done in hotel rooms or, you know, places that aren't my office. But I don't need to go and, you know, travel across the country to do that. I could go to, you know, the, the spa for the day at the Ritz and get so much done and not leave and not go to a conference. Yeah, let's imagine if we can, like imagine a jar that was all the time, energy and attention that you're going to have in any given day or week or month, right? So the jar kind of expands, right? When you put travel in there, you take these other balls, you take these other things and put it in there. And then you put, you know, connecting with people in that same, the same size jar. The jar doesn't get any bigger, right? It doesn't get any smaller either. What changes is what you're putting in there, right? And so you can't fill up half or three quarters of that jar and expect to get the same amount of stuff done. It doesn't work. And that's not any particular deficiency of your willpower or your whatever that is. It's just the fact that it takes time, right? And so I think that's where people go. And, you know, the thing is, I'll say when for my clients and for myself, when I go to conferences and, and events, what can you do to be 100% fully present there? Because if you've gotten your butt on a plane, Right. The very best value you're going to have at that is being in the moment, present, connecting with people and being 100 percent there, not half there and half thinking about this thing that you need to finish, not half there. And, you know, thinking about all the other things you've got to do, but 100 percent fully there. And I think that's might be where we're talking about Zen and space, Lisa, is I think there's a being present and focused with what you're trying to accomplish is the single best way to get results in your life and business. Right. Um, the more you're all over the place, the more you're not any particular place at a time. Exactly. And I feel like with the business coach, it, that's what exactly what it does is it brings me into focus of the goals that I want to achieve and make me realize what's, you know, prioritize what is really important and what's matching those goals. And it's all about the Zen and the focus of, of ha you know, being able to be, first of all, I think you also have to be coachable. I mean, there might be people out there that have you had clients that are just not coachable. And if they're not coachable, then what can you do? Yeah. Um, so the thing about it is if you're, if you work with a coach, expect that you're going to need to change behavior. 
if you're unres if you're unwilling to change your behavior, don't hire a coach. It's a waste of money and it's a waste of your time, right? Because if you're just going to keep doing what you're doing, why pay someone to keep doing what you're doing, right? It's a frustrating experience for all parties around. The other thing that I would say for me in this a particular way about my methodology, be prepared to give up something that matters to you, but it's not what you think, right? The thing is, you might think, oh, I'm going to give up my personal life. You're never going to give up your personal life with me. That's just the thing, right? But there might be this project that you've been hanging on to for three years that it's time to say goodbye to. It might be this client that you haven't had the heart to say goodbye to, right? But that's making you crazy, right? Um, there might be some particular marketing thing that you're doing, some particular activity that you started doing at some point that's no longer serving you that you're going to have to let go of, right? And I think there's a there's a grieving process that happens a lot of times that people aren't willing to let those things go. People aren't willing to look at, say, the products that are just not selling, that they put so much heart into them and just kill them because they're taking up space and, and you're taking up digital billboard space, right? They're not looking at these types of things where they just have to say, you know what, this activity, this project, this product, this client, it's no longer relevant to where I'm going. Um, and I got to let go of it. And part of that, and I'm slowing down here. So, because it is what happens and I, I don't want to make, just not brush over. Part of it is we attach such a story to those things. Like I've been doing it for three years. How could I ever stop doing it? And this is a part of my business. This is part of my life. Well, you know, things move on, right? Kids move on, friends move on, right? Cities change, whatever that is, change is a constant in this creative sphere. And when the, the second you recognize and you can sit down and say, you know what, this is not serving me in the way that it served me in the past, time to let it go, right? So I think that's sometimes, Lisa, what happens with people is one, they're not willing to change the behavior. Two, um, they're um, really not ready to let some things go. Um, and three, the third thing is that they're actually at some level afraid of the success that they're chasing, right? And they um, self-sabotage. They're self-sabotaging. Yeah. They're not willing to make the decision to do something different, right? Um, sunk cost and all, all of those types of things. So I would say those three things are things to be watching out for. Okay. I want to talk about the ROI too before we only have a couple more minutes left. And I mean, I, and, how much it costs to have a coach, how much it costs to not have a coach. I mean, I think that's really the question that I'm now realizing how much it would cost if I didn't have somebody like you, you to give me direction. And when we first, um, when I first in the, at the beginning of the year started back with you, I was thinking, can I really afford this? You know, how am I going to, you know, just figuring all of that out. And it was really the best decision and I was worried about could I afford it and everything has fallen into place like plus a hundred, you know, just, it's perfect. Um, so I think that it's, it's, it's a hard decision to make and, but there is the ROI and I put some statistics in, you know, the document that we, that we shared, but can you speak to that, Charlie? Like, you know, what you see just from the surveys and the, yeah, the investment standpoint. So first we have to say there's a range of rates for coaches, right? Um, and there, there is some expertise involved. There is, you know, different experiences involved. I'm not saying you're saying that rates are arbitrary, right? But they are all over the map. You can kind talk of like to, attorneys, probably. It's kind of like attorneys, right? Yeah. Um, what I have experienced is um, I, I was recently talking to um, a guy who really wanted to work with me. Um, 
<laughs> and it ended up not being a fit for him because where he was financial. And he was like, well, you're the gold standard. I just don't have enough gold right now. Right. Which <laughs> that happens, right. That happens. And I completely understand that. So um, that's one thing to think about, you know, I can't speak for all business coaches. I can speak for me. When I work with a client, I become their partner. I become a steward of their resources as well. And the other thing that I start looking for is how, I mean, let's, let's be frank. I'm a business coach, which means part of my responsibility is making money for my clients, right? That's the deal, right? Um, you're not paying me just for feel goods. They're, they're therapists that do great for that, right? And so part <laughs> of my drive, Lisa, is like, where are, wh how am I paying for myself? Like, because right. it's not fun for me right? When, when I can't see how it's paying for myself. Right. Um, so, um, if you've been, so it's one of those things where if you know that you're doing things that aren't taking you forward, that's costing you time. That's costing you energy. That's costing you attention. It's probably costing you money. What I'll say here, the bigger your team, the more indecision and inaction it costs you. Right. And so, because you've got payroll and you got people working on stuff, right. They're doing something. <laughs> Are they doing the right things? Mm -hmm. Um, and so, um, I think once we accept that as entrepreneurs, we're already investing our time, our energy, our attention, our money, then it's not a question of, should I do this type of thing? It's like, what's the best way to use my money? What's the best way to use my time, energy, and attention? And if you've been stuck for six months, a year, what's that worth to you? And I'm not trying to say in sort of an NLP way, but like, really, what's that worth for you? If you were at, if you know, or you think that you were able to build another $2,000 a month that you've been stuck about, right? Over the course of a year, that's 24 grand that we're talking about that you did not build because you were doing other things. Okay. However you want to look at that there, I'm, I'm glad you bring up the opportunity cost aspect of it, Lisa, because I, I don't think we're looking at our current activities as an opportunity cost. It's kind of the given. And then anything we add on it, is the new change. But really, if you were to think about different decisions that we make, we always have to remember that there's a cost to maintaining our current decisions. It's called decision inertia, right? <laughs> um, where we normally don't put that on board. We only put the cost of switching on board, right? And this is a huge sort of cognitive fallacy that we get caught up in. It's one of the things that help clients with in general, right? Is like, we're already doing something. Running your business already cost you eight grand a month, whatever it might cost you, right? How might we better use that eight grand, right? Um, so yeah, opportunity cost is huge, especially um, when you think about the fact, and we all know those people who have been stuck on a plateau for two, three years, They've been kind of in business for five years, right? But they're really not growing. And here's what I have to say about this. I'm not a grow, 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 always grow guy, right? Um, it's really your goals, what makes sense for you. You know, in the sense of Kathy, where she's just recently um, had a baby, like growing, you know, 10X would be the worst thing to happen to her right now, right? Yeah. Um, at the I same time, handle it. <laughs> I can handle it. And she would lose something that matters to her. At the same time, you know, not, not losing half X because she has a baby, right? That's a huge thing, right? Um, or growing in a way that makes sense to her. So that's really what we're looking at. Like, there's always this delta. And again, I want to go back to the performance aspect as opposed to the deficiency aspect. Um, a good business coach is going to help you perform better in your business. And my belief is a good business coach is going to help you um, live a better life as well. Um, if your business is getting better, but your life is getting worse, something is awry. You got to change that. And not to make this a gender thing, but I feel that I have to throw this in there. Women in business need coaching. They need the, the coaching to give them the confidence to take on certain situations that 
you know, it's just been our, you know, just society or just culture that women react a certain way and having that coach to not be, it's almost like it's a coach. It's, it's giving you the guidance. It's not your boss. It's not, you know, your parent. It's not your significant other. It's somebody that has an objective perspective and can give you guidance. And I think women more than ever need it. Yeah. Well, and I think if we look at it, the way we socialize women and girls, right, we don't necessarily sit down with them and help. And, and like, so for instance, my mom, given our situation, I was helping my mom do budgets and figure out what we we're going to spend, you know, with her income when I was like 12. Right. Um, I'm not sure that would have happened where I a female, right. Um, we don't sit down and have those conversations. I was also a boy scout and there's like personal finance courses within boy scouts and things like that. So what I would want to say there is there's this, um, implicit, um, way in which we cultivate boys and men that slides in some of these, some of these soft and hard skills around leadership, around budgeting, around all those different types of things. Women are largely excluded from, Yeah. right? And it's a huge disservice. We can't, I mean, we can change that at the social level, but what you have to understand is if you're sliding into business as a woman, unless you grew up with entrepreneurs that taught you those types of things very directly, or unless you took the business classes, um, unless you did all that kind of what, now you're starting at a um, cultural disadvantage, right? And that's just reality. It's not about capability. It's just about socialization. And so that's one thing, you know, we're not for the graphic nature of it and, and this this may not resonate with everyone, but it's kind of like the Highlander, right? So the Highlander, there's a guy that goes around and unfortunately when he kills them, he assumes their power. That's the part I don't like about it. But when you work with a coach, they've worked with all of these people. So you get the combined knowledge of all of their clients when you work with them, which is why really good experienced coaches are a lot more expensive than junior coaches because you don't just buy the coach. You buy the experiences that they've had with hundreds or thousands of clients and scenarios, right? And that's, you know, that's time somebody else paid for, quite honestly. Right, right, right yeah. Um, and point. so, um, you know, that's what we're looking at there. And, and yes, it is one of those things to where um, there's that. What I also would want to say is, I think it's also part of socialization, the way we, we gen, the way we gen, or the way we socialize women will sometimes push them away from the analytical side of things as well. And so, um, you know, they're not necessarily taught how to, you know, see patterns and data and, and things like that. And so they end up being at a disadvantage there, too. So I'm not trying to say you should hire a male coach. Um, um, I will notice I will say that I've noticed with a lot of my client and a lot of my clients, especially my female clients, it's like um, I provide a perspective and a way of seeing the world that's different than what the native way of seeing the world is. And it creates a a team and Lisa knows this as soon as, as soon as a client hires me, actually before they hire me, it's already a, we, we're already saying we, um, we're already going on. So, um, um, yeah, I think that's what you get to. Okay. Awesome. Well, we are almost out of time. Um, Kathy, any other questions? Do we have any other questions from the audience? Not really. I've got to sign out in a couple of minutes, y'all. Okay. So. All right. Good. Okay. So Charlie, thank you so much. Just tell us if anybody wants to get in touch with you, where's the best place to connect on Twitter, LinkedIn? All roads lead to actually productive flourishing, right.com. So I would say start there. Um, we also have a new group. Um, it's called the creative giants campfire. It's where we're talking about issues like this and, um, you know, just showing up, being real, um, talking about what's going on, providing inspiration, things like that. That's free. I'd love to see you there as well. So those would be the two places I would direct people to, to ProductiveFlourishing.com or the Creative Giant Campfire on Facebook. 
Okay, awesome. And tip of the day is get a journal and write it down in addition to your digital. So Charlie, thank you so much. Kathy, great. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks for we'll see everybody next week. Okay. Thank you for listening to this episode of Social PR Secrets. If you like what you heard, check out the book on Amazon or follow our blog at socialprsecrets.com. This episode was sponsored by The Buyer Group, a social PR agency striving to keep our balance in the digital world, practicing public relations, social media, and search marketing, while occasionally drinking a glass of wine or two for the best creativity and results. Thank you all for tuning in. If you would like to get a free chapter of Social PR Secrets, go to socialprsecrets.com slash free.